Good morning, family. I um, want to say happy Father's Day to all my fellow followers. Um, for you young fathers, I'll just say this has been the toughest, best job that will never end. Okay? So if you thought 18 and you're done, well, now you know. Uh, you're never done. So um, just uh, happy Father's Day to all of you fathers. Um, so I'm so glad all of you are here today. I believe that God is here. I believe that God uses his word to speak to us. I believe that his spirit is here. And I believe that God wants to do something really great here in every one of us. And so as we gather together and we look at God's word, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Philippians 2, 19 through 30. So if I were to just jump right in and start talking about this text, it might be a little confusing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of take a running start at it. And I'm going to look at what Paul has been sort of addressing through this whole letter that he's written to the church at Philippi. So Paul, the author of Philippians and who planted the church in Philippi about 10 to 11 years before he actually wrote this letter. Um, he's reminding the church of the basics of the Christian faith, which is what we call the gospel. So Paul shared how God came in the form of man, Jesus, who humbly submitted himself to God the Father. He went onto the cross, he died for our sins, and that Christ then conquered death and is now graciously reigning and leading us. So Paul then coaches the church at Philippi, and he's also coaching us as we read this book. He says, how, with this fact that the gospel's there and Christ died for us, how are we to live our life? So we're going to look back in chapter 1, verse 27. You can glance over there. It's probably just on the opposite page of where you've looked already. Uh, but Paul says we are to live a life worthy of the gospel. So, so what does that look like? Um, what we, how we use our time, what we do with our money, how we work, how we talk, what we do, all of that is to be done with living our life worthy of the gospel. So Peter says we should, so Peter, he calls us, uh, living the gospel. He says we should be a peculiar people. John, in the gospel of John, he says that Christians are to be known by their love. So this is what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel, to do it differently than the world does, to spend our money differently, to spend our time, to spend our effort doing things differently than what the world might have us spend our time doing. So then Paul in chapter 2, he looks at Christ in verses 1 through 11 as an example of humility, not elevating himself to be equal with God, he handicapped himself so that he could be, so that he could make us whole. So I'm going to do something here. I'm going to deviate. I'm going to share something that has nothing to do with my sermon. Is that okay with you guys? I promise only to take a few minutes, uh, but uh, I'm just going to deviate because this verse really means something to me. This whole idea of God coming in the form of a man. I believe that God literally disabled himself. He handicapped himself as he came to earth. And why that's important is, I don't know if you know it, but 
I have a disability. I have dyslexia. As a kid, it was really hard, challenging to read and to do math because everything would be flipping around. And so a D looked like a B, and that was just really hard. My oldest daughter, she's deaf. I have a son that's here with us today. He's hard of hearing. I have another son who has sort of life skill challenges. So we're a whole house full of disabled people. And so God being disabled and coming to earth really made sense. And you go, well, how did Jesus really disable himself? Well, first of all, he was time disabled. So when he was in heaven, he was omnipresent. He, he was everywhere. He, he, he was, all time was, was, didn't matter to him. We live on a very linear time base. So that's why we call it a timeline. I believe that God today is working in the past, the present, and the future. Time doesn't matter to him. But when Jesus came to this earth, he was time disabled. And then he was power disabled in the fact that he could be tempted like we are tempted. And so there was some element of his power that he had to relinquish when he came to this earth so that he could be tempted like us. And then he was also independent disabled in the fact that he then had to stop and eat and he had to sleep. So he had to be present in this world. So there were some things that he had to do differently when he came to this world. And so that really meant something to me. I just shared it with you. Now we're going to move on. So Christ, he became the example of one of the marks of a Christian, and that is the mark of humility. So truly understanding what Jesus has done for us and what he gave up because of his love for us Therefore, Christ is our example of how we should be, live worthy of the gospel to humbly put ourselves second and God and others first. So the first mark is humility. The example is Christ. Then last week, our pastor, uh, he talked about verses 12 through 18. Paul was the example there. And Paul gave, his, gave the example of even though he might die in prison, what he said be poured out as a drink offering, he is glad. Paul challenges us to live our life not grumbling, not arguing about the situations that we find ourselves in. Then last week, one of the things he called about that situation, he says that we live in a warped and crooked generation. So I go, if I live in a warped and crooked generation, why can't I grumble and complain and why can't I argue a little bit with God about living in this kind of a world? And so Paul goes on to sh then share. He goes that we have something different than the people that live in this world that do grumble and complain, and that is we have Jesus. And that's what really makes the difference, and that's what made the difference in Paul's life, is the fact that Jesus was with him when he was in prison, and that regardless of what was going to happen to him, at the end of the day, he would be with Jesus again. And so Paul had no reason to grumble. He had no reason to complain. So Paul, to this point, he reminds us of the good news that Christ came, saved us. And now we are to live our lives worthy of the gospel. Then he shares the marks of a Christian that we're just to be humble and glad and full of joy. So... One of my community group leaders has said quite often, I've heard him say this, that it would really be nice if the Bible had more just normal, regular people in it that were living their life as a Christian, you know, because you have all these greater than life people, you know, 
you know, you, you have Abraham who was willing to sacrifice his son. You know, you, you have Paul who he was, you know, in prison, shipwrecked, all these things that happened to him. He was bit by a poisonous snake and he was just out there planting a whole bunch of churches and then had time to write a bunch of letters, which happens to be most of our New Testament. And so you go, wow, these are amazing people. How do I live up to any of them? So Paul goes, hey, I'm going to give you a couple just regular old kind of people. They're just people that you really are not going to find anywhere, and one you may not even know anything about. And those are the people that we're going to look at today. So that was my introduction. Now we're going to read God's Word. How's that sound? So if you have your Bibles open to Philippians, if you'll do me a favor, out of respect for God's Word, if you'll stand with me as we read God's Word together. Philippians chapter 2, reading in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. Is that me? Okay, we'll just keep going, and if I start crackling more, we may have to stop. Um, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it goes with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will also come. I have thought it necessary, though, to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my needs. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. And indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but, also, uh, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. You can be seated. I'm just going to do a quick prayer as we get started in looking at this particular passage. Father, I just pray right now that you will meet us here and that you will, through your word, show us what it is that you want us to do with our life. Not just today, but today and going forward. Father, find us willing to listen, find us willing to obey, find us willing to follow you wherever you lead us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you may know a little bit about Timothy. Some of you may know nothing about Timothy. Because the Bible gives us a little bit of information. This is what the Bible tells us. Number one, he was raised in a single family home, or single family, yes, a single parent home uh, by his mother, but his grandmother also aided in raising him. Uh, so therefore, he did not have a strong male presence in his early development. He was from a mixed race background. Uh, he came to know and follow Christ on Paul's first missionary journey. Um, and then Timothy 
sort of had a hesitant or a more reserved personality. You can find that in 2 Timothy 2 and 1. And then he joined Paul on his second and third missionary journeys because Paul asked him to come along with him on that journey. And um, so picture this. You have Paul, um, you know, this church planter, this missionary, this guy that has this most powerful testimony. And even in the next few weeks, chapter 3, we're going to talk a little bit more about Paul's testimony and who he was. Um, so, so you have Paul, just this powerhouse of a Christian. And then you got Timothy coming alongside of him. You know, a little bit more of an introvert, um, willing to do whatever needed to get done, but didn't really want to be in the limelight. And so he lived in Paul's shadow. He humbly lived in Paul's shadow because people are different. You know, I, I've talked to different people about, you know, being a part of Life Explored. And they go, you know what? I'm just not really an extrovert that gets out there and shares my testimony all the time. And I go, great, join us. We need people like you because there's people like you coming. And so they need someone that will speak quietly and not just like, like me, you know, all up in their face. They don't need that all the time. And um, so, you know, we're all made differently. And Paul was, or Timothy was just a little bit more reserved. So this is what we know from God's word, that uh, Timothy was a, a very humble, a very quiet, uh, uh, but a very faithful follower of Christ. And therefore, Paul sent him back to many churches to go and speak on his behalf when he was stuck planting another church or when he was um, in prison at other times. So Timothy went for him. In uh, the book by Andrew Murray, um, entitled Humility, he shares an idea of what humility is. And I'm going to paraphrase it and sort of put it in a little bit of a formula. It should be showing up on the screen if it's not there already. But he basically says, humility is a greater dependence upon God. So I, I'm going to ask you, who, who did you depend on this morning as you were getting ready to come to church? When you got up and you made your selection of what to wear and was getting everyone out the door, even if that everyone is just you, uh, and you were, you were finding your way here and, and you were trying to get breakfast in and get here on time, and who were you dependent upon? Who were you leaning into? It's like, I don't have to do quiet time on Sunday because I'm going to church. And I'll sort of like do quiet time there. So it's like, who are we dependent on? I have a hard time with this. Hey, hey guys, I did the research for this sermon. I wrote the notes for this sermon. I spent the hours reading and trying to find out what God would be telling me through this sermon. But if it's my sermon, you guys are wasting your time. But if it's God's sermon and I'm dependent upon him and I depend upon him to share with you what he wants to tell you, then there might be hope that something I say will be of value today. See, real humility happens when I become more dependent upon God. And when that happens, the last part of that equation, I hope it's still up there, that equals joy, okay? So if you really lean in and are really dependent upon God, at the end of the day, what he favors you with is joy. 
So this warped and crooked world that we live in, it tells us that the only way that we can really have joy is to go after it. That in our own power, go out and get the things that will bring you joy. Because there's slogans all over the news. You deserve a break today. Finger looking good. We make it your way. Real joy only comes if you go out and get it. But see, the whole formula is reversed. See, the world puts joy equals you go get it. And then you don't have to be humble. But, but real humility allows you to be dependent upon God. And then that joy, that everlasting joy, comes into our life. And that's what Paul said Timothy was. That's what he said. He says, there's no one else like him that I can send to you that will look out for your welfare. There's no one else like him. That's, that's, what, he, that's what he called him. And so... God sent Timothy back to the church. He wanted to send Timothy back to the church at Philippi, not for the church's sake and not for Timothy's sake, but for Christ's sake, so that Christ could do the work in the church that he wanted to do. And that's what God asked us to do, is humbly serve him and do what he's asking us to do instead of what we think should be done. Paul goes on to say about Timothy that he has nothing to prove. What would that look like if you had nothing to prove? It's Father's Day. Um, as a father, uh, from 1 to 13 years old, you are a superhero. Okay? So those are great years. Enjoy them, fathers. Um, and then as they get into those teenage years, you are the dumbest person in the world. So if you're looking like you don't have to prove yourself to your kids, man, I am constantly doing that. And even now when my kids are grown, you know, what do I know? And so we're constantly proving that, that we still have something to offer. When we, when we go to work, you know, I've been told on more than one occasion, you know, you're only as successful as the last thing that you did really well. And so we prove ourselves at work. We prove ourselves in our family. We get to church and we want to prove ourselves by, you know, how we look and how much quiet time we did and how much praying we did and how much service we're doing. And we're trying to prove to God what, that we're worthy of him. And, and that's exactly not what Timothy did at all. He was just faithful and humble and he did what God told him to do. And Paul says he's proven his worth. And I think that that's sort of cool. I guess if I have to have a tombstone, that wouldn't be bad. He proved his worth. And um, so um, I like that about Timothy. Um, what allowed Timothy not to have anything to prove is he put Christ first in his life. He knew he could not please anyone, so he chose only to please God, Christ. He did not value what others thought. Um, he humbly served those around him, both great and small. This is the example Paul is giving us as a humble man that worked hard in the shadow of Paul and did not care what others thought of him as long as he put God above all else. So the first point of my sermon was having nothing to prove, then humbly serve. 
The second half, so I only have two points. Isn't that nice? You go, oh, man, he's almost done. Um, bring joy to others with what you do. So we meet this guy called Epaphroditus. We don't know much about Epaphroditus uh, as a person except sort of what is right here in Philippians. So there's some assumptions we can make. We assume that he became a Christian in the church at Philippi because the church at Philippi sent him to go help Paul. And maybe Paul, and then Paul planted that church, so maybe he knew Paul previously from when he was there planting the church. Um, he was not a pastor. He was not a full-time uh, in service in, in the church that we know of. He was just a regular guy, part of the church. He was just an ordinary guy like you and me that loved God and served his local church. So the church becomes aware that their beloved pastor and their founder of their church plant is now in prison in Rome about 800 miles away and from Philippi. And so he's in Rome, 800 miles away from Philippi. Uh, they come together. They sort of make a collection. They, they collect some money. Uh, see, in prison back in those days, you didn't get three meals. <laughs> it's whatever someone would bring you and give you to eat. So you had to have resources outside the prison to actually live. And so uh, they, they made a collection. They collected money. They, they wrote some encouraging notes. And they put this care package together. And they were ready to send it off to Paul. Now, you got to understand, this is 51 AD. There was no FedEx. There was no UPS. So it's like, how are we going to get the care package, you know, to the prison? How are we going to get it? And, and then we want to send someone that will do some encouraging and, and meet some of Paul's needs while they're there. So they were looking for a volunteer. And lo and behold, here's this guy in the church, just a regular guy. And he normally volunteers to set up chairs. But they said, hey, we need someone to walk from here to New York City or halfway there. And, uh, you know, we're gonna, we, we need you to take this care package. We need you to... Uh, take about a year off of work, and uh, we need you to go and take care of Paul. And so um, we, we meet um, Epaphroditus, and he says, yes, I'll do it. I'll go. I'll volunteer. And so off he goes. All we know is somewhere along the trip or right after he got there, he got really sick. Paul said, uh, in verse 27, so sick that he almost died, okay? So he got really sick. But this is also what we know about Epaphroditus. Obviously, he had really good genes. He had a great immune system. He was able to fight off whatever virus he picked up. He made it through. And Paul says, God had mercy on him, but not only on him, but also on me, because it really would have broken my heart if Epaphroditus had actually died. So he was here, and then look at what Paul says about him. He is my fellow what? Anyone got their Bible still open? You want to talk back at me? Say it again. Soldier, like that, before soldier, he was a fellow worker. Yeah, so he's a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. So obviously Epaphroditus had a little bit of muscle around him, okay? Or maybe, like me, had a little bit of girth so that he could burn it up, you know, walking 800 miles. And, um, but he was able to make that trip. He was able to fight off a disease. And then he was able to soldier on with Paul. You know, and I can only imagine some of the things that Paul gave him to do required a soldier's mi mindset, you know. Put your mind to it. 
regardless of how you felt about it, you had to plow through, you had to make it happen, you had to get it done. So this was Epaphroditus and who he was. Um, you know, I have to confess, I, I really had never really thought about this guy. I, 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 to tell you the truth, if you had put me on a quiz show probably six months ago and said, who is Epaphroditus? I'd go, oh, man, I don't have a real clue. <laughs> who is this guy? And, uh, you know, I'd hope that maybe I'd go, I think he's in the Bible. Um, but I, I don't know that I really knew too much about him. So this week I had to figure out who he was because he's not anywhere else in the Bible. Guess what? I could not find any other supporting writings that had anything about him. So that's how popular he was, you know? It's like me. I don't think, you know, I don't have a Facebook account. I don't have an Instagram account. I don't know if you can even find me on the internet. <laughs> so, you know, I'm going to be one of those guys that when I'm dead and gone, it's like, who's way, you know? And um, so Epaphrodites, this, you know, we, we, we don't know a lot about him. And actually, if I, if, if I tell you the truth, some of my heroes in the Bible are like David, a man after God's own heart. I go, man, if I could just be that, that part of David, if I could just be a man after God's own heart, that's great. That's good enough for me. But then, uh, is Caleb in the house or is he helping with the kids? Hey, Caleb. Ah, oh, thank you, Caleb. See you. So, so I have a son. Middle name is Caleb. Caleb's been with us for the month uh, from uh, Renaissance, the group that uh, has been here. So I got to meet him last week. But Caleb is one of my favorite characters in the Bible, he and Joshua. And maybe you guys don't know who Caleb is, but he and Joshua, you know, they went in to scout out to see what the, the promised land that God was going to give him. And they was full of big people, bigger than me. I mean, giants, you know, about that tall and about that big and biceps that were like that. And, you know, and, and all the spies came back and said, you know what? I think we wait a while, you know, let's let all them die off. And um, then we'll go in. Oh, not Caleb. He's like, God says, we can do it. Let's go whip up on them. Let's go get them. And so Caleb and Joshua, they're like all ready to go after all of this. And, and so that's like one of my heroes. I'm like, those are the guys I can get after. And David and Peter, who jumps out of the boat and says, hey, Jesus, can I come to you? And he's like, come on out. And like, I don't know if I'd gotten as far as Peter. I'd probably gotten, you know, one fat one step out and then probably fallen in the water. But Peter's like, you know, got three or four steps before he's like started drowning. And um, then, of course, Christ rescues him. But Peter and then Paul, who just, you know, plants church everywhere and he writes a big part of the... I mean, these are the people that you can get behind and get really excited. And so who in the world is Epaphrodites? And what are we supposed to learn about this guy? So <clears throat> Epaphrodites... He was no one spectacular. He never had a book written about him. He, we don't know how many, if he ever preached a sermon, we don't know how many people he may have witnessed to or shared the gospel with. We don't know any of those things. We only know that he was faithful to do what he said he would do. He said he'd take a care package from Philippi and he'd take it over here to Rome and he'd give it to Paul. And guess what he did? He did that. It almost cost him his life, but he did it. And then Paul says, I'm gonna send uh, him back to you, to the church at Philippi. And so what um, Epaphrodites does is he grabs the, the letter that Paul wrote and he takes it back to the church at Philippi. So all we really know is 
That's what we really know about Epaphrodites. But here's what we also know. If he hadn't been faithful in the small things, we may never have the book of Philippians. If he had never picked up that letter and taken it back to the church so the church could read it, so it could become part of our New Testament, we may not have ever had the book of Philippians. Because of one man being faithful to do what God asked him to do, we have this book. This book for 2,000 years has encouraged Christians to live a life. I mean, we've just gone through, we're finishing up our second chapter, and there's so many just words and phrases that so many of us have memorized and we hold dear to our hearts and it keeps us faithful to the Lord. And um, if Epaphrodites hadn't just stepped out and said, I'm willing to take on the 800 miles and I'll walk it for God, we may not be reading this book today. So I'm thinking that maybe Epaphrodites is becoming one of my new heroes. Because he was willing to be faithful in a very small thing. So what God's really taught me this week is, he said, Wayne, how about not being great and just be faithful? Don't try to be great, just be faithful. Will you just do what I ask you to do? See, there may be some other type A personalities in the room, like myself, or if you're part of disc training, you may be a D personality and, you know, need to be in little control and need to, you have high energy and you think greatness is what you are been put here on earth to be, and you need to hear what I needed to hear this week. You don't need to be great. You just need to be faithful. I believe that greatness is really overrated and that faithfulness is really undervalued. If we could just learn to be faithful in our walk with the Lord, that's all he really asked us to do. So thinking back about what Jesus has built his church on, he's built it on the church on the backs of men like Epaphrodites. Just regular guys who love God, who humbly and faithfully serve him selflessly, like a lot of you right here in this room. He is just a regular dude who loves Jesus, loves the church, and is faithful. And so one of the things that I think is really important for us to be sharing today is some of you are very faithful and no one really knows what you're doing because you're doing very small things. Some of you have a very young family and it is just all you can do to love and care and nurture them and that's being faithful. And so what Paul says in his letter, he says, these are the kind of people that you need to honor. So as we gather as a church and we see people doing simple things like bleaching out their bathrooms before community group shows up, um, caring for someone that has a disability, caring for a senior in their family that, that needs extra care as they are coming to the end of their life, uh, for someone who is 
you know, setting up chairs, doing small little things, uh, coming along somebody, being a friend and helpful when you don't really have the time to do it, but you do it because you're being faithful as a friend. About fathers being faithful to um, have tea parties and do princess dress up. I think we have a picture if you can cue that really quick. But, you know, it's, you know, you know guys can pull off pink and what you can't see there is I, I'm really got some lipstick on. And um, so I really got spa dayed out. And uh, so what we really got to understand is that, and you can take that picture down now. <laughs> but you know what? When you are faithful to do the little things, when you're faithful just to be a dad, just to be a member in this church and do the small little things that God's asking you to do, I want to say thank you. I want to say we honor you. When you're faithful to be part of a church group and a bunch of college students are going to go out to the West Coast and serve in San Diego, and that sounds like a boatload of fun, and then you get here and you realize you're working with children and you're going and you're witnessing to homeless people and you're doing things that are really outside your comfort zone, we want to say we honor you, we thank you. When you are doing the best you can to raise your family, to follow God, and to love the Lord, I got it. Thank you. We want to say thank you, and we honor you. So Paul says, people like this, we need to honor. Some of us get really excited about what God says he's going to do, how we are to live our life worthy of the gospel, and that Christ came that we might have life and we might have it more abundantly. I get excited, and I want to say, Jesus wants to change the world through all of you. Jesus wants you to be a part of the change agent to change the world. And I believe that that's what God wants us to do. But then sometimes I got to say, Wayne, it's okay to think about how we're to do that. How we do that is faithfully following the Lord. When he tells you to do something, you say, I do it. When, when Dan stands up here and says, hey, we'd love to plug you into a ministry. You can work with the kids. And all of you went like, oh, I almost raised my hand. And the technology ministry. It's like, is that really a ministry? And it's like, we, we think of all these excuses for not doing and not standing up and not going, but some of you have no more capacity to do anything else, but then some of us do. So if you're faithful to God, you know when to raise your hand and when not to raise your hand. That's what we learn from Epaphrodites. He was faithful in the little things. So, I'm going to wrap up my sermon. And I was seeing how I was doing. I think I'm really early on time, but you know what? I think this is good. I'll just wrap up a little slower. Um, so, as I wrap up, I'm, I'm, I'm going to share a song about casting, that Casting Crowns put out. Um, it's been a few years. It's called Only Jesus. And, and the course goes like this. And the reason I'm sharing this is because I believe this is what 
Timothy and Epaphroditus, this, this is really their testimony. I, I don't want to leave a legacy, and I don't care if they remember me. Only Jesus. And I, I've only one life to live, and I'll let every second point to him, only Jesus. That's what these two men are. That's what these two men are. Now, I got to say this one thing. These two guys are not the hero of the story. These two guys are a reflection of the hero. See, they came to know Christ, and Christ transformed their life. And by doing so, they humbly and selflessly and gladly, faithfully served the Lord because God transformed their life. So the real superhero of the story is Jesus Christ. He's the one that came and paid, paid, our, paid the price for our life. He's the one that in his perfect life, he came and did a sacrificial death, and in doing so, brought about an abundant life that we really don't deserve. And so what that does for us now, it gives us the opportunity to live out our life worthy of the gospel and how do we do that? By selflessly, humbly, gladly following faithfully Jesus Christ. And we have two just regular guys to give us an example of how to do that. So this morning, I really want to share how we can, as a church, be these kind of examples for the world around us. So it's Father's Day. You know, there is no better way for a father to be an example to this world than to sacrifice and love and care for his family. And there's no greater faithful person, child in the world, than someone that honors and respects their parents. And today, especially Father's Day. So if you haven't done so already, please, you know, at least send an emoji um, or a text more favorably, as a father, I would love a phone call. <laughs> I, I, I also have an iPhone, so, you know, uh, they can FaceTime me. But do whatever you can to honor that faithful person in your life. And if they were not so faithful, then as a child, you'd be faithful to find a way in which you can honor them anyway. And then... I'm hoping that in our church we have faithful friends that this week will find a way to share the gospel with the people around them. And that's us living out just a humble, faithful life before the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, man, you are so good. Father, I just want to become more dependent upon you. I want you to be the reason that I wake up in the morning I want you to be the reason that I go to work in the morning. I want you to be the reason that I live my life, and I want others to see that through me. I want others to see that I am living a life worthy of the gospel. Father, I love these two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus. They are great examples, and even though you've given us just a very small glimpse of who they are, Father, you've done so in a way that we can see that they are people that we can follow, but we also know that in following them, we serve the greatest hero in the world, 
and that's you, Jesus Christ. So thank you for being so gracious to love us, to save us, and to find us worthy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.